0: On 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6.
1: On 2FM.
2: Thanks to the two Johnnies, it's Wednesday the 21st of February and this is Game On. Coming up today, we'll have a reaction to the news that Dan McFarland has stepped down as Ulster head coach. There's Premier League and Champions League tonight. Paul Corey and Raf Diallo are with us in studio. we'll be chatting Gaelic games with Nadine Doherty and Damian Lawler. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or find us on X at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Now, welcome along. We'll be talking about all the live football action in just a little while. It is uh, about 24 hours since the FAI have released their Football Pathways plan and also um, let us know that they are a little bit closer to getting their manager. Nothing really has developed since then. But, Paul, I just want to get your opinion on that Football Pathways. As somebody that came through a pathway of their own <laughs> and ended up playing at a, as high as you can get, almost, you did very well. Um, what's your reaction to to what they're what they're proposing?
3: Well, I'm not sure mine was a pathway because there was no pathway. Okay. So at least go on. this document serves to to give people a bit of a, a roadmap of where it is we're going to go. Listen, I've seen a lot of bashing of it online and and people giving out about certain components of the plan and particularly the clash between Gaelic football and football and the seasons coming together. But I, listen, I think it serves as. As something that can be followed over the la- or over the next couple of years, you would like to think that there's people in the FAI who will be accountable for delivering on, on certain components of it. And it can be used as a basis of at least taking us forward. It's been needed because for too long you have so many different leagues, representative bodies pulling in different directions. This hopefully gives us a bit of continuity um, with football in this country. And particularly when you think of football in Ireland, like... <laughs> The foundations for anything and any sport is the facilities and our facilities are way behind what is, I guess, the standard across the rest of Europe. And if you were looking for funding, you would suggest that this is a document that can certainly serve purposes, whether it's going to government or whether it's going to UEFA or FIFA, to try secure some sort of funding. At least you have avenues and you have directions of where you see that being used. So I I think it's a starting point. There's obviously certain bits of it that can be debated, but I do think that they've done a decent job in getting what seems to be a good Structure and a good plan in place, Raff
4: Yeah, actually, just thinking about the you know sort of the divide and like the dysfunction that has existed beforehand. I was reading uh, uh, Gavin Cooney's piece in the 42 mm-hmm. this morning, and I thought he had a good quote that summarised it really well. That Irish football is best understood as a loose confederation of leagues, committees, and administrators united only by mutual suspicion. And I imagine Paul, <laughs> from the historical point of view, that that's exactly. To an extent, what it would have been, and uh, again, it depends on the region, depends on whether it's Dublin or you know, mm-hmm. further out that there isn't, uh, you know, there isn't, there's never been a unity or you know, joined up thinking.
3: No, and that is a very good point. I mean, if you look at even if I reflect on my own career playing Dublin District Schoolboys football, when you reached under 13s, you played in the Kennedy Cup. The Kennedy Cup is made up of 32 different leagues and in every league has a board who has a piece of their own cake and they have their own sort of ideas of how their league should function and everybody seem to be pulling in different directions so at some point all of this has had to come together and people I've seen have, have maybe been debating about the style of football and you know that there should be given a bit of free reign to people particularly with the senior team as to the style of play and you know the framework that they work within I think at the same time you have to identify what it is you're trying to do um, with schoolboy players, what sort of philosophy you're trying to teach them, what techniques you want your centre halves or your centre midfielders to work on. And that has to start from the top. And then you need to drip feed it into the schoolboy section. And listen, I think it can only be a positive if it's delivered upon if it's delivered upon. If not, we'll continue as we have done for the last 20 years. And we unfortunately have stood still while the rest of European Mm -hmm. football has moved forward. And it's no coincidence then you look at the international rankings, how much we've fallen behind because we just haven't developed players in this country. We've relied on the UK for too long. It's time that we started doing that here. And it's time that I think people in different parts of the footballing family within Ireland have to start pulling in the same direction because for too long they've pulled against each other and it's been to the hindrance of the players and that's unfortunately what has held us back for so long.
2: And crucially as well, um, Paul, we need to get them playing more football because the facilities, as you said, but also our climate, it means that for several weeks and months of the year the kids aren't getting enough touches Mm. of the ball and I can imagine if you were to compare how many hours the kids here were playing compared to other european countries there would be no comparison
3: no and it's no secret formula as to what kind of progress as a player it's contact hours with the mm-hmm. ball and unfortunately you know kids don't go out in the streets anymore and practicing like they do bashing the ball against the wall like more i guess people that i grew up would have done so contact hours with coaches um we have a severe lackage of uh, or lack of full-time coaches within The football industry Mm -hmm. as it is when you look across kind of Shamrock Rovers Academy across the top academies um, in the country we don't have that sort of resource available to us so we don't have kids in a situation whereby maybe they're coming in before school after school to get those contact hours and you go across to the UK even from a young age kids are taken out of school for half days and they're brought into an academy whereby they're refining skills and unless you are getting the same amount of hours in as kids in, in other regions you are going to be left behind and that is exactly what has happened to us.
2: Okay we'll have more on that a little bit later on we're going to turn our attention to rugby now and the news that Dan McFarland has stepped down as head coach of Ulster with immediate effect with Ireland under 20 coach Richie Murphy set to take charge on an interim basis after the Six Nations I'm joined now by Paddy Wallace Paddy what's your your reaction to this news
5: uh, Yeah not not overly surprised I think there's uh, been rumblings I suppose behind the scenes for a number of weeks now uh, slightly surprised it's come so quickly uh, with immediate effect. Uh, but professional sports these days and uh, they, they made the move quite quickly and uh, and am seeing they have, have recru- recruited quite quickly. So let's sort of get us in between the lines that this has probably been a process that has been going on for, for a number of weeks uh, given that Richie has uh, been... Given the job so quickly.
2: So what what went wrong? Do you think, Paddy? Uh,
5: okay. <laughs> you know, it is a results based business that we live in now. And uh, oh, you know, Dan came into into Ulster whenever uh, the, the team were not playing well. He solidified things. Uh, there was there was there, was, there was some very very bright moments in his coaching career at Ulster, uh, a whisker away from, from winning the first trophy for 15-odd years uh, at Ulster, uh, making the final of the, of the URC. So uh, there were there were some very bright spells, but uh, it sort of descended now in the last couple of years where there's been the odd good performance mixed in amongst some, some not-so-great and uh, certainly in the last number of months there has been a steady decline in the performances of, of the team on the pitch and uh, and, uh, and unfortunately now he has had a sort of Damocles I suppose hovering over him now for, for a number of months and the the performance and the result away in Swansea against the Ospreys uh, was obviously the last draw and yeah it was uh, a, 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 a pair loss and uh, but it's it's a culmination of, of poor performances and uh, and, and uh, us falling down to you know eight in the table now uh, that uh, has been the end of them.
2: So just from from the outside looking in, when when you look at the job that he did, particularly of late, and, and those cracks were starting to appear, but it was almost hard to, for people to put their finger on what was going wrong. What do you think was happening behind the scenes that he wasn't able to get the best out of his
5: players? it's it's hard to, it's hard to know I mean I'm, I'm still in touch with with the game and with, with Ulster and uh, with some former players and some former players have played under Dan as well uh, in the past and uh, you know there are with a, a squad of you know 30 to 40 players there's always going to be players within that system that don't get the game time that they want and there there can be grumblings obviously that's just the nature of professional sport but uh, I, I, you know from what from, from behind the scenes what I've heard is you know that there was uh, probably a, a disconnect that, that began between uh, between players and, and the coaching staff uh, and that just doesn't breed a, you know a, a culture that's going to be successful in the long term uh, yes as I said there's always going to be disappointed players but as long as they're fighting towards a like a culture or or a goal that they feel inclusive in then the, the the squad and the team and the performance will thrive then uh it's whenever you have that disconnect between between management and players that uh that's when that's when the Robs are settling setting setting in and I, i've experienced that, uh a few times in my playing career and seemingly that seems to be the, the case in uh, in Ulster at this point in time that there is a sort of disconnect between many of the, the players and uh, and then whenever you hear the grumblings from the fans and and uh, uh the pressure certainly was applied uh, for from all quarters and and uh, the Ulster management professional committee then took the decision then to to move in a different direction as a result of that.
2: You could tell, though, that McFarlane was frustrated by his post-match interviews and um, I guess he wasn't really shy at pointing the finger at players when he felt the need as well. Do you think that that was an issue?
5: Look, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it potentially could be. be <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes players now, these days, need wrapping cotton wool and, uh, and, you know, uh there is a management side to that uh, that you know I I don't know if I could handle that but uh, yeah it's it's a difficult it's a difficult one uh, yeah, as I say you know you are looking after forty five thirty forty five sort of type A personalities uh, and they're they're never going to be happy but it did spill over in some of his interviews certainly the post match interview after the Ospreys uh, it was you know, finger-pointing at the, the referees of all people. Uh, and, uh, you know, that didn't sit well with um, a number of the fan base from, from all accounts. You know, you, you take the, the loss on the on the chin and you move forward. You don't look to place blame anywhere else than on your own shoulders and, and take take that responsibility yourself, even though it may not be the coaching coach's fault. Uh, but play, the players have a responsibility for this as well because they're Performance on the pitch has, in in some of these games has been has been very poor, and um, it's very easy to just point it, blame at the coach and the coaching staff, but uh, they're they're not the ones you know throwing the ball into the line out or kicking for goal or or trying to catch 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 kicks in the air and th- those small skills and uh, have been have been fairly poor from from Ulster. Uh, it hasn't been consistent. Uh, the consistency has been a factor. You know, you can go out one day and you beat Racing very comfortably at home, and beat Leinster away at the RDS, but you know, then get absolutely stuffed by by Toulouse in in the European Cup, and and then away to the Ospreys, you, you put in a very subpar performance. So that is frustrating, and the, that consistency of performance just hasn't been there. Uh, for the past two seasons, and uh, yes, it's disappointing. as a change of guard for Ulster, uh, no, and uh, you know that hopefully will galvanise the squad to to move forward and, and produce better performances.
2: So, what does Richie Murphy need to do now?
5: Uh, I suppose he needs, first of all, to to get the lay of the land. He, he he comes from you know a very successful coaching background within. Leinster uh, through to under Joe Smith, and I uh, mean uh, he's, he's a very successful campaign started off already this year with uh, the under twenty. So uh, his pedigree is certainly there. I think Ulster more than anything need to develop a, a, a strong inward culture uh, amongst the squad, and, uh, and and Richie will get a grasp of all the personalities that he will have at his disposal. Uh, He he will want to have a hand in in recruitment as well going forward as to what players stay on and which players they can try and um, attract to the province Uh, because that is vital. I think probably the recruitment the likes of Marcel Coutier and Dwayne Vermeulen those big ball-carrying fours. the recruitment after Vermeulen has moved on hasn't Hasn't quite uh, filled his his boots. Um, and from from a few years before he was he was a stalwart for Ulster and gave us go forward all the time. I think I've been lacking this year, so uh, recruitment will be a big uh, will be a big point of emphasis. Uh, and also then the conveyor belt of players then that, that Ulster can bring in through the the ranks of the school system and the academy. Richie has 1st had knowledge of how successful that's been for Leinster and the school system that, that is there. It's like six, seven sub-academies uh, all fair-headed towards the provincial game uh, and that has served Leinster so well it really is the envy of, of European rugby. Uh, and if Richie can in some way create that conveyor belt of talent that comes through and, and gets nurtured and then you you're able to see those players Coming through the the underage system into the Ulster Academy, and then uh, from that from that early age, developing a strong Ulster style of play and culture, uh, that then just feeds up through uh, intrinsically into the, the senior uh, team. I think that's probably the main goal for Ulster. Uh, I think so. He just needs to get the lay of the land, the talent that's available, and trying to nurture. And develop the the young school talent that, uh, that Ulster have at their disposal as well. So he'll have, have his hands full in his life, But uh, if he can if he can replicate, you know, half of Lancer's success, he'll be doing well.
2: Do you think that Richie's the right man for it long term?
5: Well, I, I certainly think so, and I, I can certainly see the direction that Ulster professional committee have gone in by by selecting him because of the success uh, that. That Lancer have had, but it's I suppose uh, you know time will time will tell. It's like the New England Patriots uh, and Bill Belichick and his coaching staff under him. they all all his assistant coaches ended up because he was so successful getting jobs in, in NFL franchises, and and very very few uh, were able to replicate anything near the success that the New England Patriots had. So yes, that they're. Diving into a talent pool that has proven success, but when you take take the, play, take the player or the, the coach out of that out of that culture and out of that uh, out of that system, uh, you know it's hit and miss whether or not they can re- replicate that success. But uh, you know Bale's done their due diligence, and, and I'm sure they have the right man for the job.
2: Okay, well, time will definitely tell, Paddy. Thank you so much for taking the call.
5: No problem. Marie. Cheers.
2: Paul Curry and Raftiello are still here as well Paul just a, a final line on that Football Pathways um, programme that we mentioned a little bit earlier on are you confident that we are going to be able to develop footballers that will enable us to qualify for major tournaments
3: Ooh, to qualify for major tournaments I'm not too sure I, I definitely think we can do a better job of developing our talents and I think even when you look at the the League of Ireland uh, underage leagues I think that has made a significant difference in the development of younger players and you can kind of see that on a Friday night when you go watch games that the average age of the league is quite young you can see the, the sort of the creme de la creme of the underage leagues coming through on a consistent basis so listen I think this is a framework that we can work within there's flexibility within it but I still think it requires people pulling in the same direction and you can veer away from it but for me the discussion will always come back to facilities. And until we get facilities right, and I don't mean stadiums, I mean training grounds and training facilities for for young kids and coaches to work within, unless we get that resolved, I still think we'll we'll be struggling to execute on the other components of that plan.
2: Now, I know that uh, Connor Bradley is playing with Northern Ireland, but if he's playing tonight and Queen kelleher is playing in goals, there's two people from this island who will have came through. Um, the Liverpool Academy. <laughs> Well, they were a little bit older when they went over, but they had their schoolboy football here.
3: Yeah, yeah. and she does the Ogbeni.
2: Yeah, exactly. So there's three. Very good. So I mean, if we keep producing players like them, maybe we will. Well, we have
3: increased our participation yeah. in the Premier League in the in the last number of years compared to where we were. There seems to be like a huge gap between, say, like Shane Duffy to say Jason Malumbi.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you know yeah. those
3: those sort of. Age groups. We didn't produce for like seven or eight years, it seems. It seems like only Johnny Egan maybe was one who came through at that period of time. Daryl Lenahan was another, but nobody kind of playing at the top end of the Premier League. But yeah, it's great. I mean, particularly for Queevy and Kelleher, it seems like he's going to get a good run of games now. Mm -hmm. Alison seems that he's going to be out for for the next. It's terrible to be
2: celebrating anyone's injuries, but it's a great opportunity. Yeah, we we have to be
3: selfish, and and sport is ruthless. We know that. And Virgil van Dijk, I saw, came out and said some nice things about Kelleher. And listen, my my question marks around Kelleher wasn't really around his distribution or his ability to play out from the back. I, I, I just thought at times maybe his ability to command the six-yard box has been mm. questionable when ball's been put in there. But I think he's done really yeah, well since Paul, he's got this opportunity. You
2: know, like, you have to be playing all the time. Like, it's really hard to go into scenarios and situations like that. And, like, mm. none of us really know the intensity of what they're... the, the level that they're operating at. Yeah. So,
3: and it's confidence as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Keller is not a small goalkeeper, but at times maybe his presence doesn't feel huge. And uh, maybe with a couple of games he'll settle into that role a bit more maybe you'll start seeing him play with a bit more confidence but some of the saves that he's pulled off in the last number of weeks he was excellent against mm-hmm. Burnley like some of the 1v1 situations that he pulled off big saves at big moments in that game and again against Brentford listen, he would have had a clean sheet only for the goal that kind of came late on and he did really well with the first one so it'd be great to see him to do well Um, again tonight and grow into that position and listen maybe we'll be having this conversation again about what he does at the end of the season Mm -hmm. does he move on or does he hold on until Alisson moves out the door but he's certainly doing very well with the opportunity that's presented itself
2: Yeah and Raph as well you have to think that they obviously have a huge amount of confidence in him as well Now I know their options are limited but um, at the same time like they are putting him in there
4: No they are and Klopp I think has always been very complimentary of him and you know he's always talked about having the best number two, which might sound like a backhanded compliment but no they do rate him very highly and and, you know very early on um, they were giving him like little opportunities and cameos in the Champions League and then in cup competitions and I think the Carabao Cup final a couple of years ago against the same opponents they're going to be playing um, on Sunday at Chelsea really helped his case and kind of cemented uh, cemented the idea that he can play in big games I mean I don't think he made a save in that shootout if I recall a couple of years ago but he did score Mm-hmm. He did, you know. Well, he was a former outfielder at one point when he was uh, coming through as a youth player. But he did score and he played his part. He played his mm-hmm. part, and I think uh, I think that sort of helped cement his place in in the squad ahead of the uh, you know some of the other
3: options mm-hmm. they had in goal. Um, at the same time, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if a squad was to be picked tomorrow and Ireland had a fixture, would it be Bazunu? It would be Bazunu, or would it be Keller? Would it? I think so. He's playing so much. He's playing in the championship. Yeah, yeah he still- seems he's be playing
4: well in the championship. Yeah, yeah he does. Compared to last season, where he does. His- his uh, statistics weren't particularly good I don't know
2: I think you always always good the player that's playing
4: yeah maybe you're right unless you're...
2: it's Matt Tarty, because even though he doesn't play he tends <laughs> to play well for Ireland
4: yeah but <laughs> given their friendlies they might spread out the, uh, the minutes between the two yeah. and then we'll have to see in September <laughs> who's
2: they? <laughs> the that's nameless, the thing the nameless, the nameless managers who, who don't yes. exist yes. <laughs> yet. yes
3: give me Carsey, another call there lads
2: <laughs> which uh, brings us nicely along to Thomas Tuchel um, he's going to be departing Bayern Munich so does this mean that Anthony Barry is now a contender for Ireland, Raf? Uh,
4: not automatically, because okay. he he he's double jobbing at the moment. So he has the uh, the Bayern Munich role with uh, Thomas Tuchel, which uh, he's had for uh, all of this season, and when they came in last April. And he's also been working with Roberto Martinez first at Belgium, but now currently with Portugal. And the thing is, they're going to the U- unlike ourselves, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've got a busy summer. They're going to the European Championships, and I would imagine Martinez would be loath to let a key member of staff leave at a time that they're preparing for a tournament when they are going to be among the favourites. They're probably just behind uh, France and England, I would say, more than likely. And you don't want to be shaking up your staff uh, at that time, I would imagine.
3: Paul? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with absolutely everything Rafa said there. I actually found it strange that Bayern have decided so early to to let Tuchel go. Now, Tuchel's... Yeah, is that because of Xavi Alonso? Yeah, maybe so. But I still think you could have those conversations on the side without letting people know that Tuco's going to be exiting the building I mean Harry Kane must be scratching his head he sort of left Tottenham which was an unpredictable situation with Conte last year to to probably join Bayern Munich team that he obviously expected would go on and win the league and be under I guess uh, a more safe structure with Thomas Tuchel where it just seems like it's completely turned upside down I just wonder if Bayern lose against Lazio in the return leg at the Champions League with two could just be shown the door. I wouldn't be surprised if that was to happen because their form of late has been really, really poor.
2: Yeah, it's a real strange one. Um, look, you've been involved in football. Why would they do something like that?
3: I don't really know. Unless it is to, to open the door for a Xavi Alonso to come in, you would imagine it's gonna be a decision that Alonso's gonna to have to make whether it's Bayern Munich or, or Liverpool. Liverpool yeah. It certainly seems that well, he's got an pick? option there. I don't I don't know. Like he's played for both clubs. Yeah. Liverpool he probably has a bit more of an affiliation with you would suggest and maybe would fit the role a bit more but listen it might come down to his family situation if his family are settled in Germany Mm. and he wants to to walk into a club that typically dominates German football it's probably an easier job I would suggest than taking over Liverpool but there there could be circumstances there that might dictate that but his stock is certainly rising Leverkusen have never won the Bundesliga I believe
4: No, they're well known as Neverkusen because uh, I remember (laughs) 22 years ago, they they finished runners-up in in every competition, including the Champions League, when, Mm. of course, Zidane scored that that famous goal. I think they've won a UEFA Cup before in the 80s and uh, a German Cup, and that's about it, despite being one of the better-known German clubs. So, uh, if they do win the league this year, you know, he's obviously cementing legendary status, Mm -hmm. but... Mm. I don't know, the, if he was to go to Bayern, obviously he did play for them for a very short time. But they're uh, they're a bit of a drama club. I think they're nicknamed FC Hollywood over there because just the <laughs> amount of focus there is. So, um, I, it might be the easier one in terms of racking up trophies early in his career if he was to go there. But then again, um, you know Liverpool are, are challenging. They've a lot of good young players,
3: as mentioned, the likes of Kelleher, mm. Bradley, etc., as well.
2: Yeah, I think it'd be probably Liverpool would be a better fit for him.
3: Well, Liverpool job probably doesn't come up as often. True when your stock is high so maybe that's something that needs to take into consideration
2: Yeah well I guess I probably would say that as um, (laughs) someone that would be very interested in who's going to replace Klopp and also just even hearing uh, I thought it was interesting that um, Klopp's representative said that he's definitely not doing anything for a year he's not going into the Bayern job or anything like that he's just going to take Time off. That's a nice position to be in. Uh, Champions League last night. Did you get to see much of it, Paul? One one for in the game between PSV and Dortmund, and Inter beat Atletico one nil.
3: Yeah, I watched Inter Milan. Inter Milan were quite decent, to be fair to them. Um, Atletico Madrid certainly not the. This sort of powerhouse that we'd have seen in previous years under Simeone, where they were very difficult to play against and they offered a threat at the final end of the pitch, didn't see much of that last night. To be honest, which and they were lucky that the the first leg only ended one nil. So a bit of work to to do there for Simeone and let Go Madrid. But I don't know about you, but the Champions League sort of feels like it only heats up now in mm. in the quarterfinals. I know previously we would have. Seeing sort of round of 16 games that were highly competitive I think now when you look down through the list you can probably cherry pick who the last eight teams are going to be with maybe the likes of an Inter let go, or maybe a Napoli and Barcelona being the ties where you can't really see where the winner's going to come from but still not enough in any of those four teams I don't think to, to go on and win the competition so uh, yeah listen Inter were good they, they certainly have a well-structured side the likes of Bastoni at the back I thought was really good Turam at the top end of the pitch looks a really good threat sort of replaced Lukaku in leading the line there and Latourio Martinez from behind but they didn't they weren't ruthless enough for me in, in the final third last night and could have put that tie to bed but Atletico will certainly give something when it when it comes back to, to Madrid you would certainly expect that Simeone with his theatrics and the energy that they bring will will certainly make it hard for him but you would suggest looking at the two teams last night Atlet- or sorry Inter Milan will probably have a bit too much there
2: I think as well because there isn't it's there isn't too many big glamour ties at the moment that it'll probably be another round before we start getting those um, really big ones Porto Arsenal tonight just given Arsenal's form are you expecting a straightforward result?
3: I wouldn't say straightforward result Porto's form is quite good I don't think they've been beaten at home in the last 10-11 games so it's going to be difficult certainly going there but over the course of the two ties you would ex- or two legs you would expect that Arsenal are going to have too much. I mean their form of late has been really good. Sort of questioned whether or not they were going to be ruthless enough in front of goal to go on and win big trophies like the Premier League or the Champions League. But the performance against Burnley, West Ham, Liverpool in recent weeks has really kicked them into gear. The likes of Martinelli, Saka and Martin Odegaard look as if they found that form that was so pivotal to them doing well last season, and it'll be a case of whether or not they can kind of replicate that over the next couple of weeks. And listen, Porto aren't the Porto that went on and won the Champions League all those years ago. They're third in the, in the Portuguese league. Don't have the same sort of names that stick out off the page. I've got Pepe, who's forty years of age, playing centre half. Expose him <laughs> to the likes of Saka and Martinelli, and it could be a difficult night. But don't be don't be surprised if this is a relatively tight. A fair tonight, but you would certainly expect that Arsenal were two legs to go through.
2: Napoli Barcelona also on tonight. Napoli are on their fourth manager in the last twelve months. <laughs> chaos or what, ball?
3: Yeah, chaos is right. <laughs> I mean, considering they won Serie A last year to now ninth in in the Italian league, sort of paints and the and picture. Won it in
4: style, I think as well. They played beautiful football on the way to
3: it. Absolutely, and and to see I guess the the freefall that they've been in since is is quite surprising but maybe the Champions League is a distraction from Serie A maybe offers a route to progressing the side on and Barcelona uh, themselves have probably found it quite difficult this mm-hmm. season, Shabby obviously leaves at, at the end of this year and um, sit third in, the, uh, in La Liga behind Girona so listen they're not the powerhouse they once were so that's another tie that's probably very difficult to call and Napoli at home are or have been in the last number of years a, a very very difficult side to play against.
2: Okay, we'll be keeping an eye on Liverpool team news as well. We're going to take a very quick break though. Uh, stay with us. We have Gaelic games with Damien Lawler and also Nadine Doherty to come. Welcome back. We are turning our attention to Gaelic games now. There is a GA Congress this weekend. Damien Lawler joins us now to chat about what is going to happen this weekend. And Damien, there's going to be a new GA president with the Charlotte Burns taking over from Larry McCarthy.
0: Yes, Marie. He's the forty-first president of the GEA. The um, the entry is quite full already, Marie. There's lots of burning issues there. Um, like at the moment with the Congress itself, there's a big emphasis on how long you can stay in in an executive for the county board or for provincial councils. Um, there's an emphasis on having minor finals as curtain raiser to the senior finals. Looking to increase the age limit from fifteen to sixteen years of age for for that grade. Um, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff there that probably would be lost in the technicalities of it. Um, but then really and truly, the big news is, I suppose, Jarla uh, Burns is actually taking office. And I think that um, when Larry McCarthy came in, you know, a, a lot of his uh, focus was getting back on the field and John Horne had done an awful lot of work um, previously as well. But getting back on the pitch was a big thing. And now Jarla Burns... Um, he comes in at a time where the amateur status is under a scrutiny. Um, there's no doubt about it. Every county board is telling him that they're overwhelmed by the amount of money that they spend. There's no doubt about that. Um, you're looking at panel sizes, the amount of training panels. Uh, you're looking at management setups as well. Split season then will need to be looked at again. Uh, condensed games, condensed the windows. Uh, but. Players are struggling to get back from injury and the bigger players are playing more and more games. They're getting no break whatsoever. Um, you know, then feeding into all that, the number of times per week that a squad will get together, like the GPA, GEA range, but it's four per week, Murray. But anecdotally, you're, you're talking about six days a week with the seventh day maybe being spent in a gym or a pool or a physio. So it's, it's, all, um, it's all full-time and everything but name now. So I think he has these... He has his hands full tackling that straight away. Um, The whole hurling issue is up for grabs as well. Uh, Late into Larry McCarthy's presidency, he put together a National Hurling Action Plan workgroup and their job was to conduct and review, I suppose, activity at all levels, but particularly the focus on the the four levels below the the McCarthy Cup. And Colum Nolan, the former Kildare Hurling chairperson, is, is getting stuck into that. And I think Charlotte Burns will definitely feed into that as well, Marie. Um, in my own opinion, I've been thinking about this more and more. I think what's needed is nearly a tailor-made plan for every tier, e.g. one for the Christy Ring, one for the Joe Mack, one for the Laurie Maher, one for the Nicky R- Rackard and one for the Lee McCarthy as well, particularly those at the tail end of that. Like uh, the hurling needs of a are allowed are completely different than the hurling needs of a Westmead or a Carlo. You know, so I think maybe that's one thing that needs to be looked at as well. And of course, then read integration like I I know you spoke about it on yesterday's show. Integration is just a massive, massive issue. 2027 has been set as a deadline. You're lacking a lot of detail in yesterday's launch. There's no doubt about that. In in my mind, finance is going to be the big thing. Um, Fixtures is going to be the next, and then facilities as well. So Jarlot will need to be probably across all that as well. Uh, I suppose football, you have to look at the football playing rules, They gave a report last September. um, You know, John Tobin chaired that, provided numbers on what was happening with the games backward passing uh, s- s- lateral play all that sort of stuff so I think they're looking for somebody now to come and, and drive that on for the next three years to see how can they bump up the excitement levels of the game like uh, will they go to 13 aside? side will they demand that three players go in the, the opposition inside forward line at all times if you do that you might need an extra official on the line so all these things need to be looked at too but there's certainly going to be some of the um, the issues that are on Jarlith's desk straight away and I think the, the whole recent Um, saga with Super Value Porky is going to be probably reflected elsewhere as well that balance between county boards trying to generate money to keep their facilities in play versus the commercial need to get revenue in as well and how you balance that versus tradition so he has lots lots on his plate but um, look he's been waiting probably since he retired as a Gaelic footballer he's been waiting all his career for this I think Um, was seen from a long distance out as a guy who could be a future GEA president. And I think as he's shown in his administration and his school teaching career to date, he's not afraid to think outside the box. He's certainly not going to be afraid to uh, include everybody in this island in the GEA. And, you know, I think he'll be... He'll remain undaunted in, in, in his in his path to do that. But he'll have other pressing issues as well. And every time Jarlett goes near a podium at a national stage, the question of United Ireland will will come up. And I think he'll do well to just avoid all that and focus on GEA matters because he certainly has enough on his plate at the moment.
2: How will Larry McCarthy's presidency be remembered, do you think?
0: Well, Larry McCarthy came in at a time whereby the, the GEA was kind of really, really... In a, in a place of abyss in terms of the whole COVID pandemic. So I'd say his first year and a half was actually spent with, with getting the the games back into play and back on the field. Um, I think he would have been late to the table in, in getting that hurling work group established, Marie. It would have been nice to have it a few months earlier, but um, at, at least he, he certainly got that up and running while he was there as well. Um, I think he was a groundbreaking president in that um he was, the you know, the first overseas president. That probably broke down an awful lot of barriers as well. Uh, but I think the three years have probably gone very, very quickly for him. And I think he did an awful lot of work behind the scenes in terms of HR structures and Crow Park and all that. But um, look, he would have been, I suppose, travelling the country, supporting referees and supporting uh, clubs. I'd say he was very much a grassroots president. And uh, I'd say he definitely had a, a dramatic introduction to the post with the whole pandemic that, that raged for, for so long during his presidency. And, uh, you know, it wasn't easy to come into that. But, you know, he, he looked back and he probably looked back at his career uh, with great pride having, having got to that highest level of office. And, and now, again, Jarla Burns, who he defeated last time around, he just come come in to try and drive it on. And I think jarla would probably be... Uh, very, very um, probably outspoken and and blunt, and maybe in his opinions. Whereas Larry would have maybe a more measured, measured approach over the last few years.
2: And Damien, just over the last couple of days, or the last day or so, we now know that Casement Park um, it will be funded, but mm. it's there's still a bit of a gap there, isn't there?
0: There's still a gap, you know, and like you're going back to 2013 when the planning permission was, was first granted. That was for thirty-eight thousand capacity. It's uh it's down to thirty-four and a half thousand now. And nothing is simple with this project, like there's no doubt about it. But uh I think like what very generous donation by the by the Irish government, Marie, uh, of fifty million. And again, it won't be written in the stars or anything, but the GEA would have lobbied for that money and would have put a pitch and a proposal together. So I think uh, you know, when you put fifty million towards the GEA's uh fifteen million as well. That's sixty five million and that's as much as the Northern Ireland executive has has pledged for the project. So um there was a bit of resentment then that the Irish government got involved from certain quarters up north. Uh, at the end of the day though, I think it's a it's a situation whereby uh the GEA's an amateur association. I'm not sure how much more they can stretch beyond fifteen million, but that's what they're saying anyway. So I wouldn't expect uh I wouldn't expect a huge amount of more to be to be made available from crow park uh and but there's a there's a gap now because, as you rightly say uh, estimates of what the stadium will cost it was once costed seventy seven million pounds sterling that's you know could be way it's obviously going to be way way more than that now. nobody quite knows where the the final cost is going to come in um but look at the end of the day uh, venues and other codes were built and I think the GEA certainly crying out for this and if it's going to be used for the, the tournament football tournament soccer games as well um, I think that there is a, a you know ho- hopeful attitude that it will be ready for that tournament in 2020 is it 2027 and uh, I guess work started last Monday on, on clearing that issue uh, clearing the ground and it's a positive thing but as you say there's there's an awful long way to go yet, Marie. They won't know the final cost until the, the tender process, the, the contracts are actually signed. And uh, one of the companies involved in that like, has, has gone out of business. Um, it's not just Caseman Park that has been affected. Other stadiums in, in uh, parts of the UK have been affected as well. So Caseman Park, look, <laughs> it's one of 10 venues for 2028. Sorry, I said 27. I should have known it was an even number. <laughs> but it's, it's one of 10 venues chosen. And everybody here is hopeful that it'll be ready in time.
2: Absolutely Damien Lawler as always thank you so much for joining us
0: Thanks Marie
2: Uh, Welcome back Uh, Nadine Doherty is with us in studio Nadine you're very good for coming in
1: Not at all it's lovely to see you having been so long I know
2: time flies (laughs) by and
1: will it fly by though to 2027 when we will have a fully integrated (laughs) GA It will fly by Marie Um, Great to have a date I suppose it's positively ambitious but very ambitious Um, but you know as everybody has been saying and there's been a good bit of commentary over the last few days we needed a date we needed Mm -hmm. something and while the detail has been scarce enough I'm sure and we know there's so much happening behind the scenes with subcommittees etc and there will be a template because I think that's what people on the ground need if and when, you know, it is going to happen. Those volunteers, the county board members, the club board members, they need a template and they're going to need support. And I think that's a big thing. Um, A lot of the commentary, you know, people are asking, where do you see the problems? And you have the three Fs, so, you know, we won't go over those again, but but I think support's going to be massive. And I think as well, Marie, just from, I suppose, working in, in different environments and leadership positions, and you'd know this as well, people are massive. Like mm-hmm. people are probably going to be the biggest, most important thing here, and the change isn't going to happen unless those people feel supported. Um, all the soundings are they are going to be supported, but we'll we'll have to wait and see.
2: We often just hear the 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 GAA view or the hurling and Gaelic football view, but we don't. We see it as just been a celebration for ladies football and Camogie. That great, you're under the umbrella now. Everything will be okay. I don't think it's going to happen like that. What do you think are going to be the challenges that are going to face the women's associations?
1: Yeah, and I'd agree with you there. I think if you look at it, I think the players see it as a huge celebration. But I think, you know, I suppose there's there's a cohort there who've worked so hard, like it's fifty years this year with the mm-hmm. LGFA and there would be a cohort there who've worked so hard and would see it as a bit of a loss perhaps of identity and so on. I think the biggest challenge is for for the ladies in general, it's it's what they are now, Marie. It's like how the finances are going to be split. Like finances are going to be massive. We were listening to you guys earlier about the FAI, they're gonna be looking for loads mm-hmm. of money. A lot a lot of associations are gonna be looking for money off the same pot, the government at the same time. We had John Rudd of Swim Ireland on during the week talking right. about uh, extra swimming pools so every yeah, yeah you know everybody is looking for a bit so I, I do think that in terms of finances um, but I think as well we have to take stock of the money that's been spent on teams mm-hmm. you know um, and, and I think the men's teams especially like hundreds and thousands a year Marie with expenses and so on so you know that has to be looked at but I think for the players the challenges aren't going to be as great as what they are now because essentially the their two feet are going to be firmly planted mm-hmm. on the floor in terms of facilities and pitches, etc. Um, I think for the association itself, I think at board level, I think that's where the challenge is going to be for the LGFA and the Camogie associations in clubs and, and in, on county boards. Um, I think it's going to get political because, yeah. you, you know, you're going to have... There's, there's a, many different boards at the minute that's going to amalgamate into one. There's going to be a lot of canvassing. You know, you're going to have the men's chairperson, the women's chairperson in each club and county. They're probably both going to want it. So I feel at that level, it's going to be more of a challenge. But I think for the players, it is going to be positive. And I think we're a strong enough association to retain our identity. I do, you know, like we are going to be the GA, but there is, there's going to be, women's side of things and I still think that that's going to be there not in name but definitely in nature with a more integrated approach we'll, we'll just have to see what it looks like
2: yeah. you know we heard from um, Bally Bowden representatives recently about the issues that they were facing as dual players um, Shauna Ennis of Nafina and Mead spoke to the GA Social podcast today um, and explained her situation about when they, her club were involved in All-Ireland semi-finals in both codes uh, within 23 hours do we think we're going to see the? do you think we're going to see the end of situations where dual players are um, having to I guess be in situations like that
1: In the short term, no. No, I don't, Marie. Um, I mean, the Ballyboden Girls came out with that appeal. What's that, six months ago? Nothing's been done. Shauna, that happened there a couple of months ago as well. At the minute, I don't think that appetite is there between the LJFA and the Camogie. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe conversations happen in the background and they just can't work it out. But I don't see a huge appetite on either side. I do think when we're under the one umbrella, that will, I think that will be a positive because I think there'll be more people involved and there's a new template now for integration, so essentially they can start at the very start and say, OK, do we want dual players to be able to play as dual players and not have to choose and not be in these situations? And if the research that's been, been thrown out to us, it suggests and yes, they do, then there is a clean slate here that can happen in 2027. And I think it has to be looked at, Marie. Otherwise, like you are totally going to kill the dual player because it's almost dead. Mm-hmm. The the well, it's dead is at county eleven in the men the men's yeah, side. And the women's side, I mean, aside from Cork, yeah. you know, is there any other county that has, you know, more than one dual player? I can't think off the top of my head. But I think this integration is an opportunity to get more people around the table and have more accountability perhaps. Because at the minute what's happening, Shauna will come out now this week, we'll talk about Mm -hmm. it, there'll be a bit of talk about it and excuses given by each association at the time. It moves on and we'll come back to this, Marie. Because Nafina published
2: a letter as well, they made an appeal Mm -hmm. and... Yeah,
1: yeah. So it'll just come round Mm -hmm. and round and round about, it'll be forgotten about, it'll come up again. So hopefully with integration, a new template um, a new opportunity to actually facilitate the dual player genuinely facilitating yeah. you know at the minute there's a bit of tokenism here and there Observice. and yeah yeah. so
2: there was action uh, last weekend as well Dublin Galway uh,
1: Dublin winning that one, sixteen 16 points to 112 they didn't have it all the wrong way though no brilliant game actually mm-hmm. Marie it was, a re- it was probably the game of the weekend um, and coming into the game I wouldn't have given Galway much hope but we did chat last week myself and Shane we talked about the players who would have been available that would have you know they would have had a big say in proceedings Jennifer Donman went back to midfield mm-hmm. for Dublin uh, she wasn't her usual powerful self but she did start the comeback she got the point in, in her own fashion the way she usually does it but I mean incredibly with six minutes to go goal we were up by a goal and then we had six scores in six minutes um, Look, and that's why Dublin are all Ireland, Ireland champions Marie like they had that resilience to come back and Leah Caffrey won a a a classic Leah Caffrey free, I would say. Uh, probably was a free. Hannah <laughs> tapped it over, but then Galway went back up the pitch, and Roisin Leonard didn't get a free for what I would have felt was a very similar um, challenge and Galway went away with nothing but their performance was much improved a few Kilcarran girls back on the bench even though they're routed to the bottom I would feel they do have a chance of staying up because if you go by performances on Sunday out of the bottom teams there they probably look the best and they have Meath, Waterford and Kerry left and they have a very good chance of getting results against Meath and Waterford, Kerry my first players looks like they're going to be in the league final. Will they be putting out a massively strong team in the last day of the season? So it could go down to the the last day, but two go down this year. So um, God, we still have a hope, even though they're rooted. And yeah, listen, Dublin will be happy enough with that um, resilience and very good. I felt with Dublin they were very good retaining the ball. They're kind of getting back to that not making mistakes mode that they're they're very good at
2: in the Cork-Waterford game Waterford scored two twelve, Cork one 6 both teams were desperate for a win um, a
1: really good one for Waterford but a huge amount of pressure on Cork now Massive Massive and I suppose to start with Waterford Massive for them um, they brought more pace more power they were far hungry Marie. but Cork are in a desperate place they, they look like they have no clue whatsoever what's going on up front Katie Quirk was injured she has basically scored I'd say 90% of their scores to date so they didn't have Katie Quirk um, they were just all over the place Maureen at half time it was 1-9 to a point mm-hmm. Waterford came out in the second half Clare Walsh, Walsh scored a goal and it was game over but um, yeah Cork are for me they're probably favourites to go down at this stage after that performance at the weekend because I don't know where the spark is going to come from you, you just doesn't seem to be happening on the sideline doesn't seem to be happening on the pitch um, and I'd say that's the first time that Cork have found themselves in this position in a long long time so there's something there's really something not right Marie they look like a team who just aren't happy that's that's what I would get from their Is that a bit of a
2: long term thing though? in terms of just not being right. Yeah, it is not having but, that spark that you'd associate yeah, with Cork. But
1: then I felt like last year they had quite a good mm-hmm. league, Marie. They were playing really good football um the start of the championship. Like they won Monster last year. Yeah. You know, there's I suppose that there's a bit of a transient nature to their squad the last few years. You have players not playing the league, then they're coming in for championship. Um it's a bit disjointed. But just looking at that I felt that performance was kind of coming because the performances have just been I suppose disimproving week on week, but at the weekend there there was just nothing there. It looked like a, a training match, to be honest, for them. And um, I mean Waterford, you have to give give them credit, but they actually just looked like a team who were four or five places above above Cork in the league table. You know, and you've two teams basically who are battling it yeah. out for relegation. So with two gone down, as I said, Cork are in huge danger now.
2: Armagh made light enough work of Meath. How impressed have you been with Armagh?
1: Yeah very Marie Um, to be honest I I watched them the very first week and they were excellent and watching them there at the weekend very impressed with their basic ball retention and their basic ball skills and having Caroline O'Hanlon back in that middle third she doesn't really seem (laughs) she doesn't really seem to move from that middle third of the pitch but obviously she does but the way she controls the tempo of a game she's just phenomenal Um, and like she was playing the day before playing netball over in the UK I mean and she's, and she's a doctor yeah just stop there and um, but you know what before the game I looked at the team sheets and ma had a triangle of Amy Mackin um Kelly Mallon mm-hmm. and Eva McCoy and then you looked at that mead forward line and it was Emma Duggan inside with little else around her in terms of experience I mean very good young footballers yeah. who are, are Coming to the four, but you kinda looked and you thought where are those scores gonna come from? Um Armagh retained the ball, they played very, very well in terms of their transition. Um their hand passing, their quick hands up front, when they breached that low block of Meath when they got through to that twenty one, even against the wind, they were just popping passes and Amy Mackin played excellent. Um second half, listen, once Emma Duggan came out to the midfield area in the second half, you, you kinda figured that the jig was up for me. But um yeah, listen, Armagh top of the table and deservedly so um, and Meath listen they will take stock from that game because they they were really good on the Armagh kickouts they pushed up they got a lot of turnovers they didn't punish them but they did play well in that regard and they had 10 wides Marie so you know they'll be looking at that thinking if they had have even converted half of those they still would have been in the game um, but yeah well beaten now and yeah Armagh looking very good One division here. two last year and they'll be primed for yeah. that league teams final teams that do anyway. win Division 2 often do
2: well in championships well, this uh, the Kerry Mayo game was a draw eight points each. Kerry losing their 100% record there's a little bit of a break now uh, but games will be back on the second and third Paul just before we finish up because Paul Carr, has stayed with us any Liverpool team news for us?
3: There is and uh, I guess there's going to be a lot of question marks as they head into the final on Sunday against Chelsea because there's no Nunes and there's no Salah so that gives a starting lineup of Kelleher and goals, back four of Bradley, Kansa, Van Dyke, Gomez, middle three of McAllister, Endo, Gravenberch, and Elias Gakbo and Diaz. So a number of injuries that Klopp is... Maybe th- he's saving hand. them all for Chelsea. Well, listen, I hope not. I
2: hope
3: not. <laughs> uh, You're going to that on. game? I am on Sunday. I'm not sure if I should be telling you that because I'm slightly no. fearful but we'll, we'll go in with hope's height.
2: Bring us back a scarf or something. Um, OK, everybody, uh, Nadine, Paul and Raph, thank you as always uh, for the conversation this evening. Shane is back steering the ship tomorrow and Friday. Better to Silva is up next.